You're listening to Starting Place, a podcast of Training the Church. Hey, Starting Place family. We're continuing our journey through the New Testament, zooming in on habits and values that the New Testament authors wrote about a lot. And the one we'll focus on today is faithful endurance in the midst of persecution. My guest for this conversation is Karen Ellis. Karen is a director of the Edmondson Center for the Study of the Bible and Ethnicity in Atlanta, Georgia. She's passionate about theology, human rights, and global religious freedom. Since 2006, she has collaborated with the Swiss-based organization International Christian Response, traveling internationally to connect local and global Christians while studying and advocating for global religious freedom. Her research explores Christian endurance from society's margins, particularly in places where it's most difficult to live the Christian life. There are some people who make you love Jesus more. Karen is one of them. And I hope after hearing our conversation, you'll have a greater love for Jesus, a deeper understanding of the cost we bear for following him, and the powerful witness we can have when we bear that cost well. Karen, thanks so much for joining me today to continue our conversation as we just walk through the New Testament. Um, We are taking uh, different themes uh, because we can't take the whole text. We don't have time for that. So we're just trying to pull out different themes. And one of the themes we see in the text is this idea of persecution. Um, I think persecution is a word that people might have different definitions for, different understandings, especially in our American context. And so When you think about a biblical definition of persecution, kind of what comes to mind for you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, first off, I want to say thank you for having me on. It is such a pleasure. Anybody who wants to talk about the life of the New Testament, how it relates to the old and what it means for us um, living as a continuation of God's people from Genesis on our journey all the way to Revelation, I am just, I'm so happy to talk with you today. So in terms of persecution, I've been working with the persecuted and underground church or uh, organizations that serve them for about almost 30 years now. And um, it's been helpful as I've developed my own understanding and now teaching others um, about the theological dynamics and the biblical dynamics of um, Christian endurance under hostility. It's been helpful to me for me to think about persecution from a number of different angles because they happen from a number of different angles historically. So persecution for ethnicity, you know, we that's in our, our American yeah. history. Yep. That's in the global history of the world. Um, it's still ongoing today um, in terms of uh, people being persecuted. I think about um, the folks like the um, Yazidi women of the Middle East under the Islamic State and their fight for freedom and for dignity, or uh, you could be persecuted for ethnicity or for gender or for religion, like the Uyghur Muslims uh, in communist China. But then there's the persecution of Christians that is uh, different because we're a set-apart community, and we actually have a book that defines that for us and tells us not just what to expect, but who we are as we experience and endure it. And that, that persecution is actually promised uh, to Christ followers, uh, if you read the span of John 15 to 17, um, and then other places in the New Testament where you drop in, where you are persecuted solely for your association with Christ. 
And those things, uh, you know, ethnicity, gender, uh, religion, faith, the gospel of Jesus Christ, your identity in him, those things can overlap as we look at persecution around the world. But when we think about the persecution of Christians, it's because you're targeted primarily for your identity in Christ, not necessarily even for the work or the ethics you practice, but specifically for his name's sake, uh, because we carry his name and because we bear the witness of his kingdom and his community. So, you know, as you read the New Testament, you'll see, especially the Apostle Paul, talking specifically about how the the persecution ranges from mild hostility to intensely hostile and violent actions. And we see um, Jesus' disciples, his immediate disciples, those first 12, um, living that out. Um, but the, the, the lesser, less violent, more socially oriented actions can include ridicule, uh, restriction, restricted movement, uh, certain kinds of harassment, discrimination, torture, imprisonment, ostracism. And then, of course, that range takes us all the way to death. And you can see that in Matthew 6, Luke 6, 2 Corinthians 11, James 1. Uh, it's just shot all through the New Testament narrative that makes you think this is the condition that the New Testament church was born in. And so it's it's normative. It's unusual not yeah. to experience persecution. And so, you know, in our, in our context, for some reason, for God's reasons alone, he has allowed a significant population of the Christian world to experience religious freedom for his purposes. And he uses that. So he uses both orientations and both orientations living in the um, living under anti-Christian hostility and living with relative religious freedom, both positions he uses to advance his kingdom and both come with rights and responsibilities. I did a study at my church um, on Acts a Mm -hmm. few years ago. And as we were walking Mm -hmm. through, I think what stood out to me so much that I really hadn't seen before was just the, the, the violence that Paul experienced to just share the gospel. Um, and so as he goes to town to town and people's reaction, you have this dynamic between Jew and Gentile, but the anger and the hostility that would rise up. And then he'd, he'd go to the next town and experience the same thing, go to the next town, and experience the same thing. And a reality of New Testament believers who were living in a world that was very religious, um, but it was mm-hmm. pagan. And so mm-hmm. for them to not walk in the way of whatever God that that particular city was worshiping would have been really obvious, right? So it's mm-hmm. it's that they're, mm-hmm. they're coming to faith in Christianity wasn't something that they could hide, wasn't something that could be off in the corner, and really was something that was offensive to the powers that be in terms of government authority. And just mm-hmm. to see the biblical authors as they're trying to give us these expectations, right, of what it means to live life with Christ. Uh, I always think of the Bible as an economy of words. They don't mention yeah. everything, but they mention what is most important for us to know. Right. And what's most important for us to know is that in our life with Christ, we will suffer for claiming right. Christ as king. So that's 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 I love that you guys were in Acts. Um, I have friends around the world who say we read the book of Acts and we walk outside our door and we see it happen in real life, you know, and that that makes me think, man, what would that be like? Mm-hmm. What would that be like if I was if I was living in that sort of Damn. modern rea- that modern and ancient reality at the same time? Uh, but, you know, persecution need not I- involve violence. Mm-hmm. 
although it may yeah. um, and often does. You know, uh, I, t- I just have to rep open doors because I, I rely on their materials a lot and, and they're accessible to everybody. Okay. Um, open Doors has done a yeoman's job with their world watch list and their ability to rank uh, the top 50 countries of concern where Christian life is most difficult. And they're able to rank them because God has given them, granted them the ability to see and mark the intensities from not just from one country to another, but even inside a country. Like there are some some places in India that have, you know, greater freedom and peace and security yeah. than than other provinces in India. And so, um, you know, the the biblical passages, I think, for on persecution when we read the book of Acts, uh, become more meaningful for us when we read them with the idea that this is the normative present reality that's in mind when they're writing, when they're speaking. Yeah. When they're when they're worshiping, that there's incredible risk associated with it, not just risk of ostracization, but you know, even risk of physical violence. I mean, Paul, ooh, and and, and <laughs> Steve, let's oh let's start with Stephen, okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that that shaped Paul. Yeah. Right? What did Stephen do? Stephen got up and made this gave this fantastic speech. Oh my goodness. The speech of a lifetime, the sermon of a lifetime, enumerating who God really is in a culture that had completely warped who they thought he was. Mm -hmm. And and there's Paul. There's Paul listening to that and gnashing his teeth like, I my own understanding. If I were Paul, I'd be like, who is this guy who's more Jew than I am? Yeah. I, yeah. I'm a Jewish Jew. Well, I've, got, I've, got the, I've got the lineage. I've got the heritage. I've yeah. got the training. I've got yeah. the knowledge. And I've got the zeal to right. prove it. Right. And here is this man willing to die in front of this crowd. But, you know, a lot of people say um, that, and this is part of just having lived, you know, in the 20th and 21st centuries, uh, particularly in the West, is a lot of people say the church is supposed to be countercultural, mm. and which is what you were getting at when you were talking about, you know, sort of living differently than this, than this idol-chasing world yeah. that, that, we, that we're supposed to exist inside of mm-hmm. and be yeah. a light and a witness to. And I don't like to necessarily say that we're countercultural. Mm-hmm. All my students will tell you that we talk about what it means to be other cultural okay. and other political based on a different culture and a mm-hmm. different set of politics based on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, based on the politics of the government that will rest on his shoulders yes. one day. And so what is it like to think of ourselves as a culture amidst all these other cultures mm-hmm. that indicts mm-hmm. the culture around it mm-hmm. for their idolatry, which we all once were yeah, yeah. a part of, and also invites. Yeah. So it indicts as it invites. And so that's kind of how I, I'm, I'm learning to, to see the opportunities um, yeah. for the church amidst, amidst very difficult, difficult mm-hmm. circumstances. Yeah, I like that language, kind of this other culture. When I hear it, it reminds me that we as Christians, like you said, have a culture, we have a king, we have a kingdom. Um, and true. so we have a way of doing things uh, that is to be a light to those around us, um, I just think about the witness of early Christians in the mm-hmm. midst of all that they were experiencing. You see before the time of Constantine, you see this growth of people wanting to join the Christian faith because they're like, mm-hmm. there's something different. 
about what right. you do. You know, you read some of the writings from that time and just how they how non-believers were shocked of how they mm-hmm. responded to persecution. They're like, we go at them and they don't come back at us. They don't clap right. back at us uh, when we're trying to push <laughs> them down and and uh, accuse them of things that may or may not be true. They just saw right. something really, really beautiful and that drew them into this community. That was really yeah. clear about who God was. I think about Paul and the Areopagus and how he uses Greek philosophy to be able mm-hmm. to explain to these guys that the God you believe in isn't the right God. Right. And he's like, there's something more beautiful about that. And just, I think the, to me, it's just the opportunity, right? That yes. the biblical authors are setting the stage for this is what life with Christ is like. There's yeah. no surprise, but this is why we take this path because it's still the path that is more beautiful. Yeah, it's it's life mm-hmm. and and life more abundantly and life eternal. Yeah, and uh, you know there is there is no there is no savior apart from Christ. Amen. There is no God like Yahweh in His plan that He's unfolding. You you were mentioning earlier, you know that He's um, He's given us enough um, in the Scripture to know truth. He hasn't given uh, given him. He hasn't even revealed himself exhaustively to us because we couldn't we couldn't right. understand it. Right. But he's given us enough to know who he is truly, yeah. and then by that we can know who we are truly. Yeah. And you know that's just to to acknowledge the uh, the persecuted church or the invisible church or the underground church or the global church, whatever you want to call it, whatever name you want to give it. To acknowledge that is to acknowledge that he is doing what he promised to do when he yeah. created man and woman in the first place, which was to keep a people set apart for himself throughout history that cuts across historical lines, eras, epochs, languages, ethnicities, tribes, uh, and and, and in totality, that there's this, this, this people that really are an other cultural, other people defined by who he's revealed himself to be. And he's so good that way to let us know him truly. He's like, well, I can't, sh- I can't show you everything, <laughs> but I'm going to show you enough, yeah. not just to believe and to know and to love and to have gratitude for me, but I'm going to show you enough to teach you how to endure people who don't understand or who rebel against me. It's kind of the Romans 1 yeah, yeah. idea. Yeah, everybody knows he exists. Is what, what do you do with that right, knowledge, right. <laughs> right? Do you bow the knee or do you reject him? Yeah. And um, yeah, so um, I think enough, I think something that um, we really learn, we can learn from looking at the church historically as she has endured. Mm-hmm. And because on the flip side of her persecution is her endurance, right? Yeah. So what we can learn from how God has revealed himself through these teachings and through the orientation of the New Testament is... It's that is almost as exhaustive as God is. I have a whole course on this. You're welcome okay. to come and study with me. At the end of the century, we'll zoom you in. We right. do have Zoom studies. <laughs> but you know, just a few things I think that we can learn on first blush is that mm-hmm. we suffer differently mm-hmm. than others do. Um, you know, we mentioned earlier that there's this this whole realm. The world is full of suffering. Yeah. But what's different about our suffering mm-hmm. is that the God we serve gives meaning and redemption to our suffering when we suffer for his name's sake. And also that when we suffer, we model his unique life, death, resurrection, and glorious coming kingdom. 
when we suffer as he did. We're expected to live that same life that Christ did. You know, as you survey the Old Testament and the patriarchs of Israel, whatever they experienced, God's people often experienced as well under their leadership. So Moses was in the desert for 40 years, <laughs> and then there they go, there go God's people. Yeah. 40 years <laughs> and, we, and we see the same thing with people who were in Adam. Yeah, they yeah. act after Adam. But those who are made alive in Christ, and this is, you know, oh my gosh, this is just shot all through Romans 8, yeah. you know, uh, Romans 7 and 8, you know, dead in Adam, alive in Christ. And we conform to the one after whom we live. So that's just, that's one of the things that we get from regarding, from keeping the, the context yeah. of anti-Christ hostility in mind when we read the New Testament. Yeah. Yeah, that as Christ reveals Himself to us through through the text, like I, I like I like what you said. It just I, it gives meaning and purpose. Uh, I think many mm-hmm. times what what kind of knocks people out of the endurance race is 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 a lack of hope, a lack of man. What do I focus on in the midst of something that seems unbearable mm-hmm. or like it's just never going to end? Um, right. And the significant eternal hope that we have through Christ that. That keeps us like I think about, you know, I grew up in uh, your traditional black Baptist church. And so the mm-hmm. idea of Christ keeping his people and just the intricacies and the constancy of that, of when you are, you don't know what's coming around the corner. You, right. you know, I think about the realities that my parents or grandparents might have lived in, in a segregated country and navigating faith and race and, and sometimes and the danger, danger, the danger of that. Mm-hmm. And you, you don't, don't know. <laughs> what's happening right. um but right. i just look back at the people even as i think about now i do a lot of reflection on okay we we have difficulty and struggle in our time uh but there is difficulty and struggle in the christians of the past that in my lifetime um or those in my family and they stayed close to the lord it felt like they were tethered to god mm-hmm. because there was this 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 genuine belief uh and a belief in something that's true that the lord was going to keep them no matter what that's right and that's because of who Christ is and the hope and meaning we have. Like all mm-hmm. we have is in him. And then like you That's said, right. we, we see it in the text. We see it everywhere. Is that in this new kingdom, your king will care for you better than any other king would. Um, yeah. And you, the kingdom yeah. doesn't last just for the present, but for eternity. Yeah. Now, that's a great point, too, um, because, you know, when we look at Christ. Uh, you, okay, so you, you're going, you're you're in the valley. Yeah. Right. And uh, the old folks, you old people used to sing about, you know, the lily in the valley, the bright as the morning star. (laughs) I mean, when you were in the valley and the only beauty, the only hope to look at is the lily. Yeah. (laughs) You know, meaning meaning that's Christ. There's like, I don't know if you've ever been in, you know, some of those areas of the Bible, but some of them, it's like you look around and you're like, wow, there's really nothing. (laughs) There's nothing to see. You know, and you can understand how people would think, you know, we can't be going through this for nothing. There has yeah. to be a purpose. And so, you know, the, 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 the Christian asks, what is that purpose? It's not just for, it's not just for temporal, you know, for earthly gain. Yeah. It's, it, it, and it's not even just to bless uh, people around us by them seeing us, you know, bear up under suffering and and suffering well. And by suffering well, I don't mean not weeping, not crying, because the lament is a part of going through uh, the fear. Yeah. 
yeah. is a part of going through. And I don't want to leave anybody with an impression that, you know, underground churches or persecuted, persecuted churches do not experience those things. They yeah. do. But the way that the Lord carries us through those, those valleys is so kind and so gentle. When he lifts our eyes, the valley becomes a mountaintop when you recognize that he is building something grand. He is building something great that is the dwelling place yeah. of the set-apart people, of this other cultural, other political people. And so we have this hope that operates on the eternal plane and operates on the, the temporal plane as well. You know, there's, a, there's been a, a large movement uh, over the last, I guess, 15 or 20 years of people saying, oh, you know, pie in the sky, you know, oh, yeah. oh that's just, that's just, but you can't, you can't get to the sweet by and by if you don't bring the sweet by and by into the nasty now and now. Yep. They work together. Yep. And so I think that's another thing that we learn from uh, looking at um, these populations, historical and contemporary yeah. populations that are, they're really suffering for the name of Christ we learn how to suffer well uh, by looking for our hope and how it reorients our priorities and where our loyalties lie, not with temporal communities, but with a transcendent historical community that spans all, like we said before, spans the tribes and the tongues and the ethnicities and the languages. We belong. We're just a different sort of people. Yeah. And so when we get out, I'm seeing this huge movement right now. It, well, it feels huge, but <laughs> it feels, maybe it feels huge because I've been looking for it. Um, but, like, but it, it you know, it's, it, we keep running into people who are saying, my priorities are my loyalties uh, after the last 10 years of civil unrest and demands from temporal, from earthly entities yeah. who are asking me to be loyal to this political party. And I mean, if some of, some of us, if some of us evangelized as much as we did for our political candidates, Listen. I don't care, Listen. on either side, <laughs> what would the church look like? Right, right? I mean, right. If, we, if that was the gospel yeah. of Jesus Christ, um, you know, and people, you know, standing out with signs yeah. and stuff, you know, I mean, I'm like, <laughs> if that was the gospel, if that was our priority, we would yeah. look really different, I think, right now. And so we're meeting a lot of people in, in the church in America um, and in Canada as well who are saying, OK, wait a minute. I'm waking up to a reality that there's a different set. There's a different culture going on here. There's a different something. There's a different yeah. loyalty that I'm called to. That doesn't mean I'm not engaged in all oh, yeah. the other things. Yeah. Because they they determine, you know, our reality yeah. and, and you know, by by God's hand and by yeah. God's thoughts and by God's will. And we have as citizens, we have the responsibility to be involved in those things. But where do our genuine loyalties lie? And that that identity, you try and stick us in any of those other earthly boxes, yeah. something's gonna stick out. Yeah. Because the kingdom of God doesn't fit into any of them. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I think the ability to see the ways in which the kingdom of God differs from the kingdom of the world and think specifically uh, one of the hard parts about America having a history of being a nation with Christian undertones is mm -hmm. that I think for many people that was hard to distinguish, right? We just, mm -hmm. people saw it as one and the same, but, you know, just... Being able to separate those two, which to me, I think is the is the work of the Christian being able to approach culture with a really mm -hmm. critical lens uh, that we right. were able to, like you said, indict and invite. Um, but mm -hmm. that requires us to not it, to me, it requires us to do this process of critical thinking. That's right. 
that maybe we're not used to doing uh, because everything yeah. seemed like it was Christian. Um, yeah. When in fact that I don't know if it ever was uh, from the beginning. And so, you know, when you think about what anti-Christian hostility looks like in America, Karen, what 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 ways are you seeing that pop up? And maybe some things that we don't realize, but mm-hmm. also things that, uh, yeah. How do you? How are you seeing that pop up in our country? Yeah, you've picked up on the fact that um, in my work, I don't use the word persecution yeah. for our context. Yeah. I do use. I do say that there is a rise in anti-Christian hostility, and I think that comes from a number of different um, ideologies that have been bought into yeah. that that are age old. Okay, yeah. a lot of these patterns really go back to the garden. Yeah. Uh, the first hostility between Cain and Abel, right? Yeah. Cain got twisted because his his brother wanted to worship God rightly and his sacrifice was uh, was accepted. Cain was not Cain's was not. We don't it's not written that Cain brought his first and his best. So if we assume that he didn't then, you know, and even God gave him the opportunity to, to, he's like, you know, it doesn't have to be this way. Well, I know what you're thinking, <laughs> but it doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't have to be this way. And Cain, and yet Cain still has that violent, resentful orientation towards his brother. Why? Because his brother worshiped rightly. He worshiped yeah. Yahweh the way that Yahweh said he wanted to be worshiped. And that that hostility, you know, and I'm not saying the bloodline still exists because yeah. they were they were gone after the flood, yeah. but but that spirit between yeah. the two, I think, still exists in terms of and, and and I think we're seeing that manifest here in in America with people, you know, you know, people who have been sort of lumped in. This is this is the minority cultural experience. Yeah. You're always judged by the worst yep. among you. Okay, and so you've got the folks who are like Israel and Judah did, conflating Christianity with national identity yep. and cultural compromise. And then you've got uh, Christian communities who, uh, and then some some of the hostility, some of the blame is legitimate. People who've twisted God's mm-hmm. word and God's, you know, throughout history, we're we're experiencing the the result of that and the fallout yeah. of that. But then there's just an offense that's built into the gospel. Yeah, that same offense that Cain experienced towards Abel. Mm-hmm. And how how can you say that there is one God? How can you say that Jesus Christ is the only way? How can you say that God has an order, a created and established order, and that he gets to define who he is and who we are? I should be able to define myself. And so yeah. there's there I do see this rise in uh, anti-Christian, like genuine biblical mm-hmm. Christianity, um, a, a biblical understanding of Genesis to Revelation that is spirit wrought. Because, of course, next question everybody's going to ask is, how do you know you've got the right interpretation? <laughs> well, we are, <laughs> so we all we, we're all seeing through a glass darkly. But yeah. again, to our earlier point, God has left enough of Himself for unbeliever and believer alike to know who He is truly, yeah. and then by the witness of Christ's death on the cross and our bearing that out in society, he has given everyone the opportunity to know who he is truly. Yeah. 
and to and to be returned to to the shalom yep. that he created for us in the garden. Not everybody, not everybody's going to come. We know that. Not yeah. everybody, not everybody believes right. by the time they die. Uh, we know that, but we know for a fact that God came for His own because that's what He tells us in His Word. Yeah. And so, you know, as as anti Christian hostility is rising uh, in 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 what we euphemistically call the West, although the West is increasingly more and more difficult to define yeah. because it's it's just becoming a very uh, diverse yep. place um, ideologically in terms of dominant cultural ideals. Yeah. Uh, there's just, there's a lot of flux going on. But in terms of where we are in the West, understanding what a, a rise in anti-Christian hostility means, means understanding the reaction yeah. to biblical truths when they're said and the extent to which you know i mean i have seen i've seen gnashing of teeth i've been yelled at i've been spat on okay and there are people who are experiencing even more than that there's some folks who are now experiencing job discrimination and of course you know people say well how can that be you know you're numerically christian you know and i'm like is that really true though is that really true? And are the people who are identifying as Christian really identifying as the truth of the Bible? Yeah. So there's a it's it's a complicated, it's complex, but at the same time, when it's guided by the Holy Spirit, for me, it's very simple. You know, you know the others, you know the kingdom-minded people who are like, okay, I'm, I know I'm not getting this all right, but I'm getting enough of it right to be willing to suffer. When you think about the work you've done uh, with our brothers and sisters in the global church. You know, I think for some of us in America, this this anti-Christian hostility is is super new. Um, and so there is this struggle to know how to respond, what to do, when to speak up, when to be silent. What does it look like to engage when it's things, like you said, your job or just like the, the consequences are are more serious than uh, my neighbor just doesn't want to talk to me anymore. You know, think <laughs> right. about our brothers and sisters in the global church. Like, What encouragement can we pull from them about yeah. how to persevere? You know, when I started in, in just the work and the research um, and just just coming alongside them, I, I didn't know I was it was going to be a, a 30 year long proposition. I was I just wanted to help. <laughs> But I got with some really, some really great people who, um, who were, you know, saying the same, saying similar things to what I was reading in the New Testament and living similar lives. And then, you know, all these sort of margin people, liminal people who sort of stood between them and um, resources that they needed. I used to think that the most useful thing, the most useful thing, would be how do you do discipleship in that context. Mm. Oh, how do you, um, what's what's your prayer life like? And yeah. it's not that these things are no longer important. I still yeah. want to know those things. Yeah. Like, how do y'all get over? Yeah, I still want to know yeah, that, yeah. like the actual praxis and methodologies right. of what they're doing. But knowing that those things change from region to region. Yeah. Like Christian endurance in, in China looks very different in than it does in India, than it does in Nigeria, than it does in because the, you know, the politics and the, the culture and the, the technology, everything yeah. is, you know, different from place to place. And so that sort of defines things. But I've started now to focus more on underlying principles. Mm. And I think that the most important thing I'm 
taking away from kingdom-minded Christians that American Christians can learn is that reorienting of priorities and loyalties that I spoke of earlier, because that's sort of everything else grows out of that. And so the biblical theme of faithful endurance has a uh, foundational, unchanging quality to it. And it really is the heart posture and the heart orientation. So we are seeing out of that, we're seeing a renewed interest in, uh, in, in our context. We're seeing a renewed interest in discipleship. We haven't done discipleship really well for generations. Yeah. We've made a lot of converts, but yeah. we didn't make a lot of disciples. Yeah. So that's become more important and, and, and a priority. Um, out, of the, out of the realigning of a prayer, there's a there's a movement. I keep saying huge, but <laughs> it's, not always, it's not always as huge as I say yeah. it is. But there is a, a significant movement uh, towards um, reorienting towards kingdom prayer mm. and learning how do they pray in the New Testament? What were their priorities in prayer? Yeah. And I can say that that is legitimately happening, not just in in the in the West, uh, in the U.S., but it's happening uh, in Canada. Uh, it's happening um, in India. It's happening in China. Mm -hmm. And the beauty part of that is prayer Mm -hmm. is one of those weapons of spiritual warfare. Nobody can take it away from you. Nobody can disarm you and stop you from praying. They can conk you in the head and knock you out and the spirit will still be. Come on. Come on. Uh, interceding. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus, Jesus will be interceding at the right hand of the Father on our behalf. Yeah. And so that's that's one of the and so just sort of the rediscovery of the primacy of the loyalties and the priorities of the New Testament. Yeah. Um, I personally have been convicted about, you know, how often do I have how often do I take mm-hmm. the opportunity to actually share the gospel with someone? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm like, oh, Lord, man, forgive me. I, I live in the freest place of the world yeah. <laughs> so far. Yeah. <laughs> I live in, yeah. you know, I live, I, live in, I live with greater religious freedom than most places in the world. And what, what am I doing with that? What am I doing with it? Yeah. And so um, the asking ourselves these kinds of questions, I see a, a lot more, not just individuals, but communities asking themselves. I know that it's happening at my my fellowship yeah. um, and um, it's happening at institutions yeah. of people saying, we really need a massive reorientation. Mm-hmm. Now, you can call it revival. You yeah. go whatever you want. Yeah. But it is, it is definitely a return yep. to New Testament principles. And believe it or not, this has happened throughout history. Mm-hmm. Wherever the church has gone sideways, profligate, culturally accommodating, there's always this resurgence yeah. of people that come out and say, wait a minute, what are we supposed to be doing here? What was, yeah. <laughs> what's, what's asking that age old question that <laughs> theologians <laughs> love to ask, what is the role of the church? What are we, what are we supposed to be doing? Yeah. And letting the Holy Spirit define that for individual communities and whatnot. So, mm. so is that, that part of my, the shift in my understanding has been really exciting. Okay. It's given me a lot of hope. Okay. And if you want, I can give you a list of some of the resources that are sort of at the hub. They they come yeah. from they come they come from all the different tribes, okay. all the different ethnicities, okay. all the different theological traditions. But each one is bringing each one is to the extent that they stay biblical is bringing something toward this this resurgence of, okay, who are we as a global people? Yeah. There's only one church. 
There is no persecuted church and unpersecuted church. Mm. If some, if the 360 plus million Christians in the world that are currently being persecuted, we live in the 25 percent mm. of the world that has greater religious okay. freedom, right, than others. If those people are being persecuted, if I truly believe Jesus, <laughs> Jesus' prayer, make them one as we are one, mm. then. All of us are being persecuted along with them. And so, and then I know for a fact that many of them, many of those communities want us to not, not to think about us and them and us and them proposition, but in, this is an us thing and we're doing work together. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm enjoying the reframing. I'm enjoying learning from them in new ways. And I'm not the only one. There's other folks who are like, hey, wait a minute, something, something significant is happening globally. Yeah, there's a, a global blindness. Mm -hmm. There's never been okay. So I have, some, I, you know, I'm I'm um my theological orientation is I'm confessionally reformed, okay. and all the stuff that goes with that. Uh, <laughs> but I have charismatic friends yeah. in other countries, and we we get together and we talk, and they're like, "Ooh, Jesus is coming back soon," and I'm like. Well, of course, we know he's coming back. <laughs> and they're like, "No, it's soon," and I'm like. What makes you so sure it's Sam? <laughs> and they say there's never before. I mean, we, we since yeah. the since since Jesus was here, there have been wars and rumors of wars and parents, you yeah. know, and and the divisions between parents and children. If I mean, he told us all that oh, yeah. would happen. We've seen that throughout history. Yeah. There's always every age has that. But they say they've they've postulated what's different about this time is there's never before been this global blindness to personhood. Mm a global blindness to what makes man, man, and what makes woman, woman. And they yeah. say, and it's global. And I'm like, you might have a point there. <laughs> that is true. There has, yeah. and, it is, and it is a global blindness. Yeah. So, you know, we, we do live, every, every, every Christian community thinks that they're living in a unique age, right? But we do yeah. live in an unusual time. It yeah. really is. If you think yeah. about, you know, what's happening with the nations raging, they seem to be raging as hard mm -hmm. as they have at the most intense times of the past, if not more. Oh, yeah. Or maybe in different ways. But we really do, we really are in an unusual phase of world history. Yeah. And yeah. so my question is, what is our responsibility as this other cultural, other political reality? Our responsibility is to build the kingdom. Mm. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Because... <laughs> It, it, I mean, it, I see it like I see uh, it feels like things unraveling in ways that are new to world history, like key pieces mm -hmm. of what mm -hmm. allows civilizations to remain, have some level exactly. of stability. These are, like you said, the ideas about personhood and, and value. Um, but also, like, I think sometimes I, t I will talk to Christians and just a disappointment um, as they are wrestling with their faith and trying to figure out what it means to be a part of the church. And to see that, no, there are people who believe in the truth of the gospel and see the ways in which we might have gotten off the path collectively and desire <laughs> something new and something something new that brings us back to the truth of what uh, we were called to. And to see, you know, the desire for discipleship, to see the resurgence of prayer, to see a range of ages <laughs> and experiences <laughs> within Christianity to say, 
man, there's something more for us to be loyal to the king and we mm-hmm. need to confess, repent and move in a way uh, that he's called us to move and really to renounce right. the things of this world that we have held mm-hmm. tighter than holding tighter to him. Yeah. And in that, we're becoming more like Christ. Uh, the more yeah. uh, the invisible church, the global invisible church under fire uh, yeah. encourages us in our reorientation. They wake us up and they shake us. Uh, yeah. by the Holy Spirit from our earthly loyalties and our idols. And those idols never satisfy. They never deliver what they promise. Um, in that, we're becoming more like Christ. In that, uh, there's a strengthening and a cutting away of our false loyalties. And in that, yeah. you know, we are joining with that kingdom line that's mysteriously being kept. I don't know how yeah. he's doing it. I just know that he is. Um, and in that, yeah. they're teaching us, I think— the beginnings of how to endure under Christian hostility should the temperature continue to rise for us. Yeah. yeah. Karen, I'm going to end this with this last question that we ask on every episode. Uh, and so to me, it's a, a favorite of mine because it, I think <laughs> it points me afresh to the truths of what we've just been talking about. But when you think about this theme of faithful endurance under persecution, that we see presented for us through the New Testament and through really the lives of Christians uh, since the time of Jesus. How does it point us to the hope of the gospel? That's a great question. And I love that you've brought it back to the the mm-hmm. center of what's true and uh, what's right and what gives life. Faithful endurance under persecution, I'm coming to understand, points us to the hope of the gospel by affirming all of what the gospel reveals is true. Mm -hmm. And if we think about the gospel as much more round and robust than just, you know, my ticket from hell to heaven, but if we think about it as the complete story of Scripture, of, of the creation story, and then the fall and where all the evil entered the world, and entered our hearts and, and, and changed us, but not destroyed us. Yeah. And the, uh, that same creator redeeming us and dying so that we could be redeemed. And then the hope and the promise that he's given us that he's, he's not left us here alone. He'll be with us through the very end of the age, but he's also given us the Holy Spirit as our comforter. In, in, in the times where faithful endurance is most, most necessary, uh, and the promise that he will see us through, that he will ingather the nations. That's, that's, the, that's the gospel story. And so the life of faithful endurance for me is coming, even, even in the midst of my being trapped in this body that still likes to sin, thank God for his mercy. Thank, <laughs> thank, thank Jesus yes. for his mercy that keeps us coming back to his house of wisdom and love and mercy and truth for his believers. So it, it affirms all of what the gospel entails is true, both for ourselves and for others as we live that, as we live that continual cycle that while we, as I used to say at the end of my church, my, my black church in Baltimore when I was growing up, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for his own. He died for us. He came to do for us what we could never do for ourselves, that the one who gave everything for us deserves our thanksgiving in unrivaled loyalty to him, not his duty, but his gratitude. And I believe that God is using the global invisible church under fire to bring us back to that truth, 
so that we can bring others and show others and pull pull people from the fire, as the scripture says. And in, in all of that, we're all becoming a little bit more like Christ. That That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Cutting away of false loyalties uh, and teaching us the beginnings of what it really looks like to live like Christ. God created us in Shalom. He did. This, this perfection and sin messes that up. And what I love about our God is he's like, sin will not have the final answer. And one day we will dwell again in shalom in a more perfect reality than the That's garden right. was. And in this in-between, already not yet, it is yeah. it is this this hope, this meaning, this purpose, this 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 reality that God keeps his people. And we see how he is keeping our brothers and sisters all yeah. across the globe and can have can trust in the fact that a God who's keeping them will keep us to um, we have eyes that look forward uh, and that hope allows us to faithfully endure because one day there will be a day without persecution yes one day we will dwell with god in a world where everything is as it should be Uh, and for the christian yeah that time period of eternity is much shorter than the present that we live in that's right and we each day live in that reality Thank you, Karen. Thank you. Thank you, Elizabeth. I appreciate you so much. Thank you. Yes, it's been so good. And we will link those resources in the show notes. But just a blessing to have eyes, I think, that get beyond our borders and to see what's happening around the world. Um, I love you already in the Lord. (laughs) (laughs) I do. Thank you. Thank you. On this podcast, we tend to talk about Christianity through a Western American lens. Today, we expanded that to include our brothers and sisters around the world, as Karen shared about the persecution they are experiencing for following Jesus. I loved how Karen reminded us that there is only one church. In different places, we are all united together under Christ to proclaim the gospel. But it can be easy for us to forget the other members of our global church community. So today, I want to help us remember by leaving us with a reflective exercise rather than a question. Spend some time praying for our brothers and sisters outside of America who are experiencing persecution. Pray for their safety, courage, protection, deliverance, and ultimately, their faithful endurance. Thank you for listening to Starting Place. This podcast is designed to serve as an introduction, helping you understand and grow in your Christian faith. So if you're interested in learning more about today's topic or connecting with our guest, please check the show notes for more information. Also, we'd love to hear from you. Feel free to message us on Instagram or shoot us an email at podcast at thewoodsoninstitute.org. Don't forget, leave us a review wherever you listen to the podcast. It helps other people find the show and connect with us. Until next time, grace and peace, y'all.